0: Hello, great morning, great afternoon, great evening, wherever this conversation finds you. I am Travis Gray. Today we are transforming with our guest, Greg Lavoie. He is the author of This Business of Writing, Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life, one of the top career publications on the market. I actually had this as a uh, mandatory read uh, for a class in my master's program, so great book. Uh, really enjoy it. And Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life. Greg has written for New York Times, Digest, Washington Post, and more. He's a speaker and leader. Uh, Greg, I I met him at the Center for Spiritual Living. Um, He led us, facilitated a really beautiful workshop that allowed me to break through some of the limiting beliefs and stories and narratives and um as greg and i were talking we talked about how our libraries are probably mirroring one another and um, i'm really excited for this conversation greg how are you um terrific thanks so much for having me on the show absolutely thank you so much so uh, greg uh, right away i'm i'm interested in your professional journey like uh, how did how did you begin um, as a journalist, uh, how did you get into at, at some point, the trajectory landed you into this like transcendent spiritual realm of things at the center for spiritual living and things, but your, your books are very, um, practical, uh, in, in the career and callings, uh, in, in some way. So, uh, how, how did you, how did you begin your professional career? Um, wow, that's a great
1: question. Great, big question. Wow. Um, I would say one of the primary things that I go to in my mind when you ask that question is that ever since I can remember, and my parents confirmed this, I have had a very high level of curiosity about life. Just curiosity is like my superpower. And um, that led me naturally into a career in journalism. Um, Although I I kind of majored in changing majors before I landed in journalism, (laughs) I tried out a lot of different things including psych and english and anthropology and archaeology but um the curiosity was the the foundational piece for me and i've been doing that since i was little but i also ran across a an italian writer some years ago um i think i mentioned him in one of the books uh named alberto moravia and he said that he thought it was important in life to pursue the one problem you were born to understand. Mm. And that really grabbed me, because I think one of mine has been, how do you create a life that truly belongs to you? And isn't a knockoff, isn't a hand-me-down, isn't a pale echo of somebody else's agenda or somebody else's calling. Um, And that really led to some of the practical aspects of how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, starting with turning on the receivers. Yeah. Which well, is critical- what was that
0: one thing for you?
1: Yeah. The one problem I was born to understand is how do you create an authentic life? Mm. Um, now, part of that is um, a reflection of the fact that I come from a family business, mm-hmm. um, that stretched back to pretty much the 18, 18 hundreds. Yeah. And all the men in my family went into that business for generations, mm-hmm. except me and my two brothers. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. I have this thought that that's why I use the term hand me down life. Sure. Um, you know, the table was set for me before I even got to the table and that didn't work for me.
0: Yeah. What, what what kind of business was that? It,
1: um, it's a company that actually still exists, though it's not in my family anymore. It's called Tura T U R A. It's a designer eyewear firm in New York.
0: Okay, cool. And, and so you are in. The, it, you're exploring this question through your life. You're exploring this question, and at the beginning of your journey, how to create this authentic life. I I understand that. At the, the, in our last meeting, we had, uh, you had spoken about uh, having a twin brother. Yeah. And that seems very much aligned with that. Mm. How?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, Because part of the task for us, for my brother Ross and I, was to um, individuate. Mm -hmm, Right. You know, Um, I think the task of most um, kids is to learn how to bond. Um, but for twins, there's the additional piece of learning how to separate. Sure. And so that also feeds into the uh, the idea of creating an, a life for yourself yeah. um, that really belongs to you. And so being a twin was just an extra incentive to to separate and create my own identity. One of the first questions you're always asked as a twin is, which half are you?
0: <laughs>
1: which really... Um, kind of gets gets snap. under yeah, gets under your skin after a while. It's like I'm actually not half of anything. I'm a whole, right. um, and it's just for other people's convenience that um, I have to field that question all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that fed into it as well.
0: Yeah. So your authentic life led you into journalism, exploring this question: how to create an authentic life, and then you uh, created some wonderful books. Uh, for others and how they can find and, um, and follow through with their callings and, and things like this. Um, so in the beginning of your journalism career, where did you end up? How did, how did that develop? How did you uh, continue to do more work in, in the yeah. and in writing?
1: Yeah, well, um, I, let's see, I uh, took my senior year in college, and I became an intern. That was my senior year. I worked on Writer's Digest magazine in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is the professional journal for writers and artists. Awesome. And um, so I got I got into the publishing world uh, mm-hmm. at ground level. And um, that eventually led to a job at the Cincinnati Inquirer. I mm-hmm. pitched myself to them um, as a freelancer for about a year, and then they had a job opening and they hired me. Mm-hmm. But they hired me, and this is how I pitched myself to them and got the job, I think. I pitched myself to be their their a singles columnist okay yeah i figured i had the uh i i had the nose for news i was single um mm. um and i had that uh, that superpower of curiosity so i was really a natural reporter but i pitched myself to them and they hired me to be a singles columnist yeah. and at the time this would be the mid 70s there was only one other paper in the country that had a singles column it was the philadelphia inquirer Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that for five years and then they, um, uh, let me turn it into a self column. Yeah. And then I went to work for another one of the papers under the Gannett, um, umbrella, mm-hmm. which was USA Today as their behavioral reporter. So I just kind of amped it up over the years, but psychology was always my beat. Human behavior was my beat. I wanted to know how people ticked. Yeah. And and the really the deep underlying motivations, really the kind of stuff, I guess uh, Sophia University specializes in.
0: Absolutely um, uh, the the that that's why your book had came onto the register and been a, a required reading. Callings for transpersonal psychology. It's tr- for transpersonal psychology. They they have a funny way of being. It can get too spiritual, I would say. You know, the, mm. the, it, it, some some people and some interested professionals can be um, on the too spiritual side of things. Mm. Um, but then, uh, psychologists, a lot of the mainstream behaviorist psycho psychotherapies and psychology programs around the country are a little too material a little too behaviorist a little too um a little too practical but but somewhere in that middle area that i think that that's really the soul of transpersonal psychology the intent the farther reaches of human nature but to make the spiritual practical the eastern Mm -hmm. wisdom the eastern philosophy and the Mm -hmm. western science bringing those two pieces together and that sort of inner call to uh, that that is coming from god or that is coming from your soul your soul needing to be expressed in some exactly. manner that coming from the inside that that's an important aspect to make practical in your life that, that's Absolutely. an important thing to you know how, how do how does that calling become my profession how does that calling become the the way that I'm uh, interacting in my relationships and and things like this.
1: Yeah. You know what I've um, discovered though, for myself about spiritual work mm-hmm. um, is, and this is from somebody who essentially had an agnostic upbringing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. Um, not quite as far as atheists, but somewhere um, up um, on that spectrum. So I have discovered for myself that spiritual work is just the work of creating a connection with whatever is greater than me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the natural world. Yeah. Um, That's community. That's partnership. Yeah. Okay. Um, Or just my own potential. So um, I, I, I kind of look at spiritual work that way, rather than an up and out um, rise above theologies or any of that kind of stuff. And I discovered recently that um, if, you know, to whatever degree I can stomach labels um that i am what's called a, a religious naturalist mm. um i just discovered this this is um thoreau and emerson and even einstein people like that uh, to some degree um all the nature poets to some degree these are people who find what other people refer to as god in the natural world mm-hmm. so uh reverence and grace and source and awe and you know that kind of thing i find it out in the natural world and somehow i was really pleased to actually have a way to describe myself because i do a lot of i do a lot of gigs in faith based organizations and churches and whatnot, and people are often asking me what's your faith yeah. so I feel like i have a, a a more solid response to that question than I ever have rather than well i'm i'm an agnostic
0: yeah i i I grew up uh kind of questioning the the upbringing of my religious experience and um, agnostic fit me for a while i think i identified as agnostic for a while just the the questioning i don't know you know I, I i i'm curious about it i'm curious about um what the truth is that spiritual truth but i'm i'm still growing and exploring that and then um i came across the the sanskrit tatvam hasi
1: Mm, okay
0: Vama, see thou art that so mm, if mm. you are that thing um that that uh that, that thing is us vice versa that it is living breathing through us and that that seems like the most aligned truth for yeah
1: and i think that's partly what callings are about yeah. is pointing us in the direction of that
0: yeah.
1: um that essential truth i think that's a big part of what they're about um, and, and I, I'm always encouraging people to try to access their callings in the little daily calls, not the great big burning bush stuff. Yeah. Um, some people, not many, I think get their calls in that way, you know, a voice from on high, uh, that kind of thing, but the little tiny daily calls. So that's why I talked about turning on the receivers and just starting to train your ear to what forms calls come in, Yeah. you know, like. Um I ran across a wonderful writer, what's her name? Ah uh, novelist. I'm blanking out on her name actually, but she's a she's brilliant at um describing the dynamics between couples. Mm. And she says, I can always tell what my husband is really thinking by the tunes that he absent-mindedly hums in the car. Mm. And I love when I read that, I said, that's a calling. And that's the level at which I always encourage people to Think of this stuff is that what are the song lyrics that get stuck in your head for a week or two? There's something to that. Wow. What section of the bookstore do you always go into when you walk into a bookstore? Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, that's the level at which I think it's, it's uh, important to try to discern calls, the, the little daily things like that
0: that's a beautiful way for her to have put it the the hums of her of her husband the, right that's that's great Very right poetic.
1: which is it means it's important for guys to be aware of this because you know i'm in the mood for love is really different than tied to the whipping post mm-hmm.
0: so um, aware of that. you, you know the uh, uh phenomenology i'm doing a I'm doing my dissertation work right now using a phenomenological inquiry. And that, that word phenomenology is the study of phenomena. Phenomena are the things that shine forth in your lived experience. So mm-hmm. that, that is what I have aligned with is what is shining forth to you right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a, I, I've been lucky to have a, a relationship with a woman that shined forth to me. In in the way that she smiled and interacted with others. And in that moment of her shining forth, I I did not shy away from that shining forth. I, I moved towards it. And, uh-huh. and that and that led into the opportunity to create the relationship and, and grow and develop those things. Oh, and so yeah. those synchronicities, or in the alchemist, um, they, they'd be called omens or um, those things, those little those little twinkles in the universe, if you <laughs> can be aware to to see those twinkles happen, those little stars shining forth to you and move towards those things, I think your your life will be really great. we We have yeah. a lot of this uh, neurotic uh, a, a Abraham Maslow talk, spoke about the neuroses of personal growth. In that we and and our resistance to those things, and I and and lately and in my research, I, I like the the resistance. I I had mentioned uh, right before we we started here that um, in the book Callings, I had this um, I had this chapter bookmarked. And uh, you talked you wrote about Jonah complex, which I had also wrote, written about uh, in my dissertation. So this Jonah syndrome, what could you tell people about? their resistances and, oh. and about their overcoming of those resistances to the call or, mm. or leaning into things.
1: Yeah. I love, by the way, your, your idea of um, the twinkles and the things that you are drawn toward and the things that you were drawn away from sure. to really start to um, become sensitive to what those are. What are you moved toward? You know, what kind of tropisms do you have? Like the way plants lean toward the sun. What are those things in your life? Like and what are the things you-
0: lean towards the sun, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, that, that kind of energy happens to us for soul work and spirit work and people in our lives and um, where we're going to express our gifts. There are things we lean toward and away from. And just as, you know, I made a list years ago, yeah. years ago. I sat down and I made a list of activities that I was involved in in my life at that point mm-hmm. that were draining my energies rather than replenishing them mm-hmm. and you know the, everything from letting my bosses at the newspaper assign me stories instead of coming up with my own to driving in rush hour traffic when i didn't need to be or doing my own taxes or watching tv um or letting myself get trapped into conversations with talkaholics yeah. you know so it was just a list of activities just so i could be more aware of the things that i was doing in my life that were draining me rather than um, giving me energy. So that's something. But the resistance piece, um, you know, one of my heroes is Joseph Campbell, mm-hmm. who gave us the hero's journey. And he said, phase one of responding to a calling is running from it. Mm-hmm. So I just partly I say that, you know, by way of compassion for yourself, if you find yourself resisting a call, natural, inevitable, universal, and it's just important to remember that that's part of the path it's it's not opposed to it it's like meditation practice you sit down you want the perfect meditation which to me includes quiet on the set yeah. but then the dog next door the two dogs next door start barking mm-hmm. and i get pissed off because it's interrupting the meditation and my meditation teachers are saying no that is the meditation mm-hmm so the resistance is part of the meditation is part of the call and um dive into it you know drill there rather than cursing and muttering about the indignity of it all right. or, or or telling yourself a story like it's not a true call of resistance shows up
0: yeah that 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 urge to run those emotions that are excited as a result of hearing the call and hearing maybe how powerful it is and oh, what and what a great opportunity you have to have had this idea the muse to have dropped this idea yeah this this mission into your life that the anxiety all of that that comes up for that is is natural it's a natural piece of the of the process and i i, I do love the i facilitate a lot of meditation and i do love the idea that you can meditate in very busy places and yeah. that is where you are lifting the most weight that's where that's where it, it, <laughs> it's heavy weight when you're you know, in a busy train station or, uh, yeah. or something, trying to meditate.
1: Yeah. I saw a guy when I was a teenager do that in the the lunch room lodge of a ski area. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever been in one of these, but everyone's wearing ski boots and it's just cacophonous. Yeah. And he just dropped into this really peaceful meditation. And I knew it was authentic because his mouth dropped open and nobody would voluntarily do that in public. <laughs> because it makes people look silly or something, um but I was so impressed at the his ability to lift that kind of weight in a ski lodge
0: yeah i, I absolutely i've i've been I've been snowboarding uh only one time uh, one weekend uh, a Saturday and a Sunday in tahoe and yeah. uh, it was amazing and I do know how loud those places can go but um what a beautiful what a beautiful moment that it is to give yourself to be huh. in. Just a place of calm, and I, I think that when you are having an experience of transcendence in that way, you're transcending the 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 sound, the space, the moment. You're you're transcending to be in this meditative state. I think that that fuels you so that you can move towards your calling wow. even further. Like mm. you, you can take a moment to yourself to build a, a maybe a better relationship have a have a different relationship or a better relationship to those feelings of angst around it calm those things be with those things and then and then move out of the meditation to be fueled um to continue to move towards the calling
1: yeah i remember somebody once telling me that i needed to learn how to suffer creatively and not just neurotically yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very amusing and terrifying to me um but suffering creatively to me means when uh, anything comes up—resistance or even joy or anything—write um, about it, okay? Or go sit down at the piano and compose a piece based on that emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, process it in some way, use it, plow it in, and uh, use it to grow something rather than suffering neurotically, which I sort of—I sort of understand as um, the split between my essential self and my socialized self Mm. that's that's kind of my rudimentary understanding of neurosis is we have an essential almost instinctive self and then we have the conditioned self Mm. and when they butt heads like this that's often where there's neurotic behavior and i'm looking for that and trying to flush it out
0: yeah
1: and one of the ways Go ahead.
0: Right now. And I think my audience here is going to be uh, a lot of transpersonal students and some of them are in dissertation right now and working on these, you know, great, great academic works and suffering neurotically is unfortunately (laughs) some moments and pieces of the process i've definitely suffered neurotically a lot uh, during my dissertation process but suffering creatively you using that transmuting that energy to be to be to be your, your expressive juice to ha- have a have an outlet and and uh, and, and do yeah. something good for yourself instead of sitting in the in the turmoil and, and spinning right in the- Although uh,
1: there's something to be said for sitting in turmoil. Hmm. you know I, I think our, our tendency is to want to fix. I want to fix out of hmm. turmoil, out of discomfort, out of fear. And so we look for fixes. and of course, there's you know all the all the options that we have in this culture. Yeah. What does somebody it? Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, and, call it? Weapons of mass distraction.
0: Yeah. My teacher called weapons of mass distraction. Yeah.
1: And, uh, but there's something to be said for just training myself to sit with the discomfort yeah. and see where it shows up in the body and how it moves. It's not a static thing, it's very, uh, it's very fluid and seeing what words and associations and images, what writing I can draw out of it. But there's, something about not wanting to run from it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the class um, uh, that we did at CSL, but um, the only book I have ever read five times mm-hmm. is um, a book called Transitions by William Bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've run across this, this book, but uh, it's a book about how people make change. And he mm-hmm. says it happens in three phases. Mm-hmm. Phase one is something ending, Mm -hmm. Phase three is something beginning. And the reason I've gone back to that book at five turning transition points in my life is because of the middle section. He calls it the neutral zone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a stinker because it means the I don't know phase, the sitting with the turmoil and the disruption and the uncertainty. And uh, he just makes a beautiful case for why it is so important to gently submit yourself to a neutral zone and not get a fix.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the that is great. Have you have you ever sat in a cold tub, uh, like a <laughs> ice bath? Uh, no. We have a we have a an instinctive get away from this cold water. Yes. So if you would sit in there, I I I just recently I've known about the the power of this. I've done cold showers. I even had this um uh, little experiment, a phenomenological inquiry about what was shining forth to people um as they the 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 angst that was shining forth to people as they went to turn the knob to cold water knowing <laughs> that they were going to go into a cold bath um i had a really good friend of mine that was uh, involved in the in the experiment and he lied to me um and then he confessed to his lies like oh you're you're, you're my best friend i don't want to i don't want to lie to you um but uh but he lied to me and then at the same time He was able to go into the cold San Francisco Bay water to surf. So it's like, it's interesting, different relationship to that cold water. But um, recently I had the opportunity to go to uh, Carmel and Carmel has a retreat center that I recommend you uh, give it a shot. Greg is, uh, is called Refuge. Uh, Mm -hmm. refuge you could get you could book a massage um, but you don't have to and then mostly what this refuge is is that there are saunas steam rooms hot tubs and cool and cold plunges and so I I, the my first experience going there I was there for four hours just making these rotations and a couple of times those initial times into the cold water uh, my partner and I, I who I was with was was very quick to get out of the cold water um but i wanted to i wanted to you know dive in i was curious about the depths that i would get to by staying in that cold water um maybe the third or fourth time that we go into the cold plunge i had a magical moment for just being in that cold water letting myself you know shiver like these these electric shivers would run through my body and it felt healing and and it is something to do with sitting in that neutral zone can you in that meditative space in that neutral zone um and there's a there's a, a visceral experience a physical a psychosomatic experience by doing that in cold water hmm. it's really amazing and so i'm curious how was it how did it feel healing it it felt healing i think i think it was like nervous system training Uh And that is what seemed to be healed. So maybe, maybe prior to I'm um, like days, weeks leading up to uh, getting this opportunity to go to refuge, I had been noticing myself being uh, easily triggered and um, Mm -hmm. suffering neurotically, and and with, with maybe my writing or with different things. But then it It gave me a chance to train my nervous system to to be grounded. Wow. And calm. And those things were very healing. And then, yeah. going from cold tub to hot tub uh, is is a wonderful, <laughs> relaxing experience as well. and And so it, it seemed like all of the in the in that neutral space, so that neutral space, so that meditative space, in the cold water, all of those little shivers a shock of shiver through the body and me not reacting to it, but just sitting with it and, and just knowing it just for five, 10, 15 minutes pushing Uh it. That was, it, it seemed like every shock was healing some little piece of my nervous system and I was turned on for the next few days um, uh. after this experience I was very turned on Um, I, I got, got my business running got got a lot of things going and um well, I was you know a lot of progress in my dissertation all of these things but to to have a, uh, a psychosomatic experience of sitting in that neutral, tree th- th- that is all a metaphor. It's an analogy for the, the transition between hot and cold and um, very uh, very physically experienced, a really yeah. beautiful experience. I, th- I think, Greg, I think you'd really like that.
1: Oh, well, that would be an acquired taste for
0: me, but... It'd be an acquired taste. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, are, are you... Uh, as the hero on your journey, are you willing to, are you willing to, I, I really love um, Joseph Campbell um, had uh, you know, like, a, like a, a hero is willing, would be willing to, um, to drop everything and restart again. Mm. Okay. The, 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 the idea that you would be, um, uh, you know, uh, if somebody makes a million dollars. Um, you have a million dollars. Well, what would you like to do? Well, I would like to um, uh, give away my million dollars and start from the bottom all over again, just to prove that I could do it or just to <laughs> see that I could do it. There's something um, to be I said that for that. that. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, this reminds me of your, your description. It was a beautiful analogy of the hot and cold plunge. Um, I sat in a lecture once by M Scott Peck. Remember this name? Yeah. Uh, the road less traveled. Yeah. Um, uh, in San Francisco years ago and before he died, of course. And um, in the Q&A section at the end of the lecture, I raised my hand and um, stood up and asked him, how, how will I know in making an important personal decision, how will I know that I'm making the right decision? And he said, there's no such formula. Mm. Because the unconscious is always a step ahead of the conscious mind, the one that supposedly knows things. Um, so there's no way to know for sure. But he said, if you're willing to sit with uncertainty and ambiguity, um, you know, in, in, in the cold plunge of that um, ambivalence, and you're willing to sit there for a while, um, you'll be in the unconscious portion of the show the one that knows deeper things and you'll therefore make the right decision though you won't actually know it at the time but I remember just really studying that response of his for a while afterwards is what does it mean to sit with uncertainty and ambiguity Mm -hmm. and the discomfort of those for people who want to know stuff they want to fix things they want to figure things out um and that was a real challenge that is a real challenge for me is the willingness to sit in an uncomfortable place of cold plunge, the, um, the emotional or spiritual version of a cold plunge and, you know, and just sit there and watch what happens, not immediately get out and get into the warm water, but watch
0: what happens inside you while
1: you're in that state. And that's just been a great teaching for me.
0: Do do you experience that in your writing process, sitting in the ambiguity? Oh my God. In the middle of a, a book or a, or, a, or a paper, an article, what, um, what is that like for you? How, how do you sit with that?
1: Yeah, um, all the time. Uh, because in writing, what I'm attempting to do is what they call free association writing, where I just let the unconscious go on a roll with a keyboard under its fingers, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know where it's heading me. I don't know, you know, sometimes I get tangled up in knots of logic, Um, And I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I've got to back up three steps and come at this another angle. It's a very chaotic, organic um, activity, as any creative act really is. Um, And so I just have to be with that. It's just part of the heavy lifting of being a writer in this case. So really, I think any kind of creative person, um, just the willingness to sit with the crazy process of that. And I think that's great training for just living a life because life isn't linear. Mm -hmm. You know, you ask anybody, how'd you get where you got? And they're not going to describe an A to Z linear path. They're going to describe this. Yeah. Typically, Um, I went, I think I mentioned this in the class also the other day is um, I sat down and did a timeline of the growth spurts in my life, Mm -hmm. full of chaos. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: In fact, almost every growth spurt in my life was precipitated by chaos. And so something about making real genuine friendship with chaos mm-hmm. um is i think a really is the better part of valor and wisdom on the
0: path yeah the 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 natural growing pains with that chaotic moment that chaotic chapter of life that chaotic transition from it, it's like Maybe maybe the chaos is the turning of the last page of the last chapter mm. and the beginning to the new chapter, and that and that turning that page is, um, you know, sitting in that is is, is such a challenge. What, what do you think mm. is? Mm. I I, I had this question um prior to the conversation. I'm wondering for you um since you you're such a great writer, what what has been maybe the top three things that you believe that an aspiring author would need in order to, to write a book, uh, whether that's good or bad or or, or all of the above, but what, what what is, what is, what are three things that a writer, an aspiring writer should, should have three tips, but what, what, what what's the question? Um, I
1: would say, I'm going to borrow this from a writer in LA named Michael Ventura. And I encourage people to Google him, Ventura, mm-hmm. as in Ventura Highway. Um, he calls it the talent of the room. So before any issues of, um, you know, skill and, you know, any of the, the mechanics of writing, mm-hmm. you have to address for how long can you sit alone in a room and write? Mm-hmm. And so this is really getting at discipline. Yeah. Um, and that's such a huge part of being a writer is sitting alone in a room um, and writing for hours and days and weeks and months and sometimes years. Um, So that I think is one of the essentials for a writer is the talent of the room. And there's a essay he wrote called the talent of the room. That's what you should Google plus Michael Ventura. Um, Let's see. I would say being a writer. um, Writing from your passions is a great idea. Not that I, um, didn't do a, a ton of the opposite of that as a reporter when I was assigned stories and just had to follow them. But I had a natural sense of curiosity, so that helped. But writing from your passions, from your conundrums, from your um, uh, the problem you were born to understand, yeah. you know, um, your, your deep mystifications about stuff, your desire to figure it out, um, come from that place because then it's going to have a really organic impassioned tone to it um so that would be another and also be reading good writing mm-hmm. while you're writing mm-hmm. um i had a mentor of mine um say to me when i was um going to be writing my first book he said you should be reading poetry mm-hmm. while you're writing the book for the language he said mm-hmm. And um, I found that fascinating. In fact, fact, I discovered a little trick to um, push my own writing into a more um, creative state, which is that I literally narrowed the margins on the page. Mm -hmm. So it went from prose style to poetry style. And something about narrowing the margins made it literally look like poetry. And I wrote more that way. And so my language actually became more beautiful to me. Um, and more stylish and more interesting so a little trick like that but but I reading poetry Mm -hmm. and reading beautiful writing and frankly picking it apart limb from limb Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of that in my career why is this so beautiful how did this writer create this sentence this paragraph this piece so studying the hell out of it
0: yeah, you're, I I see the poet the poetic influences in your writing, um, wow. the 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 beautiful ad- adjective language that is being used uh, to describe an idea, and the yeah. and, and since I had the opportunity to be in workshop with you, uh, the the workshop that you facilitated, I and and I'm even in our conversation now. Your ability to grab um, a quote from memory. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and those beautiful lines, like the, the humming of the, the husband, um, that, mm-hmm. that, that line that you, you mentioned earlier, do you, do you write those quotes down and memorize them purposefully? Do you, um, is, that, is that your, your uh, p- uh, picking them apart to figure out how they read that, how they wrote that line?
1: Yeah, it is some of that. Uh, I think I'm also just blessed with a good memory.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's good. Um,
1: comes in really handy, um, mm-hmm. especially as a teacher. Yeah. Um, but I just I think I have a, a profound respect and soft spot for beautiful writing yeah. for a beautiful turn of phrase. And when I run across one or a really compelling quote, mm-hmm. um, it goes into a place in me that just holds it and holds it close to the surface yeah. um, so that I can access it. And I I think that may be one reason why I just remember these, these quotes and these yeah. turns of phrase.
0: It, it, Is, it makes you a wonderful speaker. It's really important uh, thank you. as a speaker to have, um, to, to be able to, sp- to speak in quotes in some way. Um, <laughs> do you think that Rumi wrote all of Rumi's poems? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, that's a great question. Did Shakespeare write all of Shakespeare's I don't know. writing?
0: I, I, tend um, to, I tend to believe, like, how much time did this? I, I guess he lived <laughs> in a time, or or Rumi, whoever Rumi is, lived in a time where they had all the time on their hands. But um, I, I tend to believe, like, just the amount of, of poems that this man. Unbelievable beautiful uh poems that he was able to somehow uh <laughs> yeah knock to bring from the muse is is amazing it is amazing
1: and while we're on the some of the subjects we're on i recommended people to read one of his poems called the guest house, guest house. which is about in a sense is about the cold plunge oh, yeah. you know the psych the psychic cold plunge it's about welcoming whatever shows up
0: mm-hmm. it's a beautiful poem yeah uh, do you want to say more about that the guest
1: house? um well it's You know, the guest house is just whatever emotion shows up at your front door, open the door, welcome it in. Take tea with the demons, as the Buddhists say, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the poem is just an acknowledgement of whatever shows up, welcome it in. Don't push it away because it's uncomfortable, because it's cold, because it's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Campbell used to say this all the time. If you're not afraid of a calling, there's something fishy.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Is it your your calling if you're not afraid of it?
1: Right. And is it going to push you into a heroic state of being? Because calls, among other things, they call you away from the status quo, especially Mm -hmm. the bigger ones, you know, sharing your gifts with the world or um, things like that. Uh, They call you away from the familiar and the comfortable. And um, that's heroic work all by itself. Yeah. You know, that's heroic. In fact, I remember hearing this years ago. somebody said heroism can be redefined or i would add heroism heroism can be redefined for the modern age as the ability to tolerate paradox
0: Mm.
1: to hold two seemingly contrary energies inside of you at the same time and still retain the ability to function yeah and um i just think that's something about heroism that's um, most people wouldn't think of I never thought of it is holding the tension between Democrats and Republicans, right. faith and fear, us and them, wow. um you know the essential self and the socialized self, and just holding them and then bringing them together to talk to one another yeah that's that, that's, that's heroic work'
0: that that's what I think uh transpersonal psychology does well is the hmm. negative capability of holding those paradoxes simultaneously the 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 practical science of things and the spiritual yeah. uh, the spiritualness of of the of eastern traditions of of just of spirituality all kinds of religious and spiritual traditions and right all of the all of the lessons and wisdom that that we can gain from those um i i've, I've gained a lot from this conversation this has been really amazing I, I do uh, recommend that everybody gets this book, Callings, uh, mm. because I have read it and, um, and it was a required reading. It was amazing, you know, a really great book. Um, and then Vital Signs, um, this has been out for a little bit now. Are you, uh, are you writing any new books? Are you working on anything right uh, now? I'm,
1: I'm waiting for my next marching orders. Um, right. It marching. hasn't arrived yet, but I the last two or three years, the pandemic years, have given me a ton of stuff to write about. Yeah. It was it is such a juicy profound global phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and just flushed up a lot of really interesting stuff to write about. There may be I'm looking for the through line yeah. in all of what I've written and most of those writings ended up in my uh, my psychology today blog. Yeah. Um so at some point like I often do I'll, I'll look at everything I've written in the last 5 years and see if there's what the threads are, what the dots are to connect. And sometimes my books grow out of that, but an actual book, a subject hasn't arrived
0: yet. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I, I feel like you would be a great person to party with. I feel like we'd <laughs> have such a great time. Um, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much um, for uh, transforming with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate it, great.
1: Thank you. And thank you for all your questions and your beautiful inquisitiveness
0: absolutely yeah wow that was a great conversation with greg lavoie and i a great way to start off your new year is by getting both of his books one or both callings finding and following an authentic life this is a beautiful book i've read it a couple of times and his newer volume Vital Signs, Discovering and Sustaining Your Passion for Life. Don't those titles sound enticing for your new year, 2023. Let's go. And check out more of the podcast, Gray Transforms. Thank you.